0: Uh, What what do you look for in a leader? Uh, Book smarts, street smarts. You you want your leaders to be funny though, don't you? Uh, uh, Charismatic in in personality in in some way or or another, but a good listener? And hard working, that's really important in in leadership, isn't it? Uh, Inspirational, but unassuming. transparent of course, authentic, uh, kind, polite, Um, and can I just add a couple of others, Uh, resourceful, you know, you want your leaders to be really resourceful um, and punctual, you know, on time, we started the service, I don't know if you noticed, a little bit late this afternoon, I apologise for that, Uh, It's pretty easy to come up with an unobtainable list of criteria for leadership, isn't it? Uh, As a church, we're hoping to add to our leadership uh, team. Next Sunday, we'll be voting on the the possibility of Steve Henderson uh, becoming an elder. In a Presbyterian church, there's not just the minister who says this is how it is, but there's a, a leadership group. Uh, who are uh, a plurality of leaders. Uh, and hopefully that team ministry approach is a reality and is a growing reality across all of the different areas of church life from you know, welcoming and creche and Sunday kids to youth and trailer and set up and AV and all of the various things that, uh, that we do. Uh, but what should a leader in God's church look like? Uh, And you think, well, there's those famous go-to passages, isn't there, that the pastoral epistles, there's Titus and there's there's, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, a a great example, Uh, verses 1 to 7. It it begins, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And then there's a list of criteria. Uh, This person who aspires to be a Uh, an elder within the local church there to be above reproach, faithful to their wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. They've got to manage their own family really well, and this is the first century when a family is really a small business. But as they manage the family Well, they're to do that in a respectable way. They're not to be a recent convert and they're to have a good reputation with people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. Some list, isn't it? And it's a really helpful passage, that one, to look at as we think about, well, who is appropriate for leadership within the local church? Uh, Matt Osborne, who who many of you know, uh, left us a couple of years ago To do a traineeship on that university campus in Brisbane uh, with uh, MTS, uh, Ministry Training Strategy. Uh, When MTS are helping someone think through what Christian leadership uh, involves, they have a table with the criteria uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It should come up on the screen. Here's my copy. And you see up the top that they operate there with the three categories, character, conviction, and competency. Uh, Character, the the heart, uh, godliness really, conviction, the the head, What what, uh, you know, Bible knowledge, what do they believe, and competency, the hands, the the skills, the the heart, the head, and the hands. And we might want to add some other categories, I'm not sure. But you stick the list of... Qualifications from 1 Timothy 3 in that table, and you just observe, and you could tick multiple boxes on some of them, but you notice character is key. Character primary, godliness, Christ-likeness is where the emphasis lands. Uh, you can take that down now, Phil. I reckon that's helpful, because our natural tendency perhaps might be to look to competency. How good are they at a particular task? Uh, Do they wow us, you know, when they're up the front? Or have they got the skills? But character is key. All three categories, are they're all important, but, but character in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where the weight lies. This afternoon, though, that's really helpful, but this afternoon I'd like us to take a step back from looking at lists, and just take a look at how Jesus may change our thinking on leadership altogether. We may even want to ditch using that word leadership. You know, John chapter 13, the scene is set for us in, in verse 1. Uh, that first sentence we read, it was just before the Passover festival. You may know Passover was where the Jews remembered that miraculous rescue from slavery in Egypt. And more more specifically, they remembered the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that was killed in the place of every firstborn son in Egypt. Uh, God's people were were instructed, weren't they? They they were to kill the lamb and eat it as a family and they were to put the blood on the, the door frames. And that was to be a sign that the Lord would see as he brought judgment on Egypt. He would pass over the families with the blood of the lamb. He would distinguish between the households that were covered with the blood and those that were not. And you read the account in Exodus 11 and 12. In John's gospel, what we're looking at this afternoon, Jesus has already been introduced as the lamb of God. In chapter 1, John the Baptist, he points at Jesus and he says, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As the scene in chapter thirteen is being set for us, we read it's it's Passover time. But but also the second sentence in that verse one, Jesus we, we read Jesus knew that the the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Also, if we're reading John's Gospel so far, uh, Jesus has repeated, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come, but now it has. In fact, this section of John's Gospel that we're in, chapter 13 all the way through to chapter 17, known as the upper room discourse or Jesus' long farewell to his disciples, It also ends in chapter 17 with Jesus saying, the hour has come. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is looking to his death on that cross, his sacrificial death. The hour has come. We read the last sentence in that first verse of chapter 13, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. An uh, important aspect of leadership is leaving well, isn't it? We hate it when a leader just ditches things and that's it, they're, they're, they're off. Le- leaving well is important. He loved them to the end. As Jesus faces that the reality of the cross, tap- taking up the role of, of sacrificial lamb, dying a substitutionary death, what does he do? He thinks of them, his disciples. He prepares them for his absence. Now, I don't know how you go at managing your anxiety when the pressure's on. That's what you're meant to do, isn't it? You you know, you're feeling anxious. you, You keep it to yourself, calm presence within the room. I don't know if you ever tell yourself that. Calm presence within the room and caring for others. This is next level, isn't it? He's going to his death on the cross. He's, he's going to face the, the wrath of his father in, it, in his disciples' place. So the scene is set, verse 2. The evening meal is underway. Uh, Judas's devil-prompted betrayal of Jesus is underway as well. And we read verse 3. Look at that. We read, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knows who he is. Hey, I'm in one of our blokes' smaller groups. Thursday morning, we read uh, from Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus calming the storm, casting out demons, healing that sick woman who was bleeding for years and years. The doctors made it worse. And even even raising the dead. All things are under his power. All things. He knows it. And what does he do? Someone said, with such power and status at his disposal, we might have expected him to defeat the devil in an immediate and flashy confrontation and devastate Judas with an unstoppable blast of divine wrath. How dare you betray me? But he washes his disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas, his betrayer. He serves even the one he knows is going to betray him. The foot washing thing, um, you know, it was the job of the lowliest of slaves. That might be obvious. They'll eat reclining at those, you know, the low set tables on on their sides. They'd be walking around the place through the dust. Uh, Some of your feet are bad enough this afternoon. I've just been looking around, you know. Um, Their feet would have been filthy. Uh, Apparently some Jews argued That it wasn't even appropriate for a Jewish slave to do the foot washing thing. You leave that to the non Jew slaves, the Gentile slaves. It's below us. Not one of his disciples are sitting there in this room thinking, maybe I should get up and wash the grubby feet. You know, someone's got to do it, it may as well be me. No one's thinking that. It's not their role. It's the bottom job. And you don't, in this culture, you don't step out of your position into someone else's. The the foot washing isn't in the, the, the position description. All things are under Jesus's power. And we read verse four and five. It might be so familiar, but so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was was wrapped around him. You you imagine how filthy that towel would have been just after the first person. It's some use of power, isn't it? And I guess everyone is just shocked to silence. They can't believe it. (laughs) But Peter... No, no, no. No, you can't be doing this, Jesus. Come on. It's not your role. You'll never wash my feet. Um, I don't know if you're into highlighting your Bibles, but you want to highlight verse 8, don't you? It's really challenging. Jesus' answer, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He's not just talking about the foot-washing thing. You know, that would be odd. Uh, Sometimes we like to serve, but we're not good at being served. Sometimes people can burn out or close to it uh, because of that reality. We need help, but we won't accept it. In this foot-washing, we have an enacted parable. It points to Jesus' ultimate act of of sacrifice, of service. The hour has come. The, The lamb of God is going to lay down his life for our sin. Unless I wash you, he says, you have no part with me. You see, Jesus doesn't just give us an example to follow a leadership model of service, although he does do that. He also, and even more so, gives us what we need. Filthy hearts made clean. Sucks feeling dirty, doesn't it? Ezekiel thirty six twenty five. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. The loving God who made us, he knows what's best. He shows us how to live. This is what's best for you. And we say, I'm going to ignore you on this one, God. And we feel filthy. And Jesus goes to the cross and washes us clean. But unless he washes us, well, as it as it was for them back in the first century, so it is for us today. Unless He washes, unless He washes you, you have no part with Him. Can I just say, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, you have no part with him. There's no sort of dabbling with, I'll take this Jesus, but I'll leave that. No, it's he calls the shots. If you haven't allowed him to serve you, you have no part with him. It's challenging, isn't it? And it's pride that stops us, wouldn't you say? My terms... My way, Jesus, I'll follow your example. I can do it. (laughs) No. If you haven't already handed your life over, just do it. You know, have me, God. I'm yours. Help me. And day by day, we remain at the foot of the cross, washed by the blood of the lamb. Jesus, the one who uses his his sovereign power for the mightiest act of service. I reckon just have that in your mind. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, he says. So wash me, hey. Peter's response is great in verse 9. Then Lord Simon Peter re- replied, well, not just my feet, but, but my hands and my, my head as well. Let's just go to town on this then. If it's going to be this way, sounds like unrestrained exuberance. Like our three-year-old son, he's got a lot of that as well. Well, let's just go all in, he says. You reckon Peter knows what Jesus is talking about at this point? Not really. In verses 10 and 11, Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. It seems like perhaps we're back in literal land for a while. We're talking about actual, you know, body cleanliness. But then he says, you see this, the second half of verse 10 and 11, you are clean, though not every one of you. And we read, he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. Did you see that the leadership question, even before we get to the C's competency, conviction, or character, even before we get to leadership in God's church is really service, it's are you... Or are you serving like Jesus? It's are you being served? Are you being served? Resting in what Jesus has done for you at the cross, washed clean by the blood of the lamb. Are you being served? And can I say, some of you who are good servers, it's good to just stop and reflect, isn't it? In the busyness of serving, we forget. Before you get on and do, are you being served? Now, we're doing this vision and values thing as a church, and some of you have read the document, which is wonderful. Most of you haven't, which is fine too, I suppose. So I thought maybe I'd read some of it. One of our core values, uh, our core commitments as a church, is serving each other and our wider community. And in the document, this is what we say. We don't serve, we don't do this so that people think that we're great. We're not. We don't do it as if we could somehow win God's approval. We can't. But we lovingly serve in response to our servant king, Jesus, who served us to the point of death. For the sake of interest, the only other time in John's gospel that Jesus tells his disciples, minus Judas, that they are clean is in John chapter 15, verse 5, this sort of same section. Uh, And he says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I like this. Don Carson, he says, Real cleansing is affected both through Jesus' revelatory word and through the atoning sacrifice to which the foot washing pointed. Responding to God's word and relying on the atoning work of Jesus at the cross. So the first thing, are you being served? Um, and I suppose if this talk had any structure to it, That would be the first part. And the second part is from verse 12 to 16. Where Jesus, he just turns the nature of leadership upside down, doesn't he? And whether we have a a formal leadership position or not, as it is for one, so it is for all of us. If your Bible's there, just look again at verse 14 to 17. And I'll read. He says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be Blessed if you do them. You find it interesting that the blessed life, according to Jesus here, is not selfishness. I need to look after number one. But the blessed life is the life of service. And we just picture that playing out in the day-to-day reality of, of life, of relationships. Husbands serving their wives. Wives serving their husbands. Parents serving their, their, their children, the their top dog in whatever group, doing the dishes and sweeping the floor and all kinds of different things. But only as we first, only as we are first being served by our King and so responding to Him. It's not really leadership in the local church, is it? It's service. But as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together in just a moment, um, just see, just remember how the Almighty One served you, serves you right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us leaders and we pray, Lord, that you would put the right people in the right places of our local church for your glory. Uh, We recognise that leadership is not about calling the shots, but laying down rights, uh, serving and caring uh, for one another. And Lord, um, we thank you for our servant King Jesus. Lord, it's very difficult for us to get just a small handle on the magnitude of what he has done for us, becoming man and dying in our place. But we praise you that in him you wash us clean. And so, Lord, wash us, we pray. Wash us clean in Christ. Wash us that we might be forgiven, that the filth be gone. Lord, we're sorry for the ways we've failed to honour you. And we thank you for him. And so we pray that you be with us too now as we, we reflect on that sacrificial lamb. Amen.